0: Jim rats and joints the podcast. It's April 28, 2021 from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. 20 years ago, I was a newbie sports television freelancer in this city working at what was then called CTV Sportsnet. The Raptors were in the playoffs for the second consecutive year, but this time around, they were more seasoned, more prepared The previous year, they had been swept in three games by the New York Knicks, a team that was the defending East champion at the time. This time, they were ready. Vince Carter was still the star of the team, the leading scorer, and the focal point of the Raptors' offense. Antonio Davis was the steady veteran, steely strong in the post, experienced in the wars of the postseason. And there was Alvin Williams, once a second-round draft pick out of Villanova, part of the Damon Stoudemire trade with Portland an unheralded combo guard who used the 2001 season under coach Lenny Wilkins to make himself into a star. Not only was Alvin Williams as important as any player on the Raptors in their 2001 series against the New York Knicks, but he hit the winning shot to seal the series in game five at Madison square garden. It would be the first NBA playoff win for the franchise and the last for 19 long, cold years. No matter who you talk to in the Toronto Raptors organization, past or present, if you ask who their favorite player was, Alvin Williams comes up in the conversation. A fabulous player in the unforgettable early playoff campaigns. On the eve of the 20th anniversary of his winning shot against the Knicks, we are thrilled to welcome Alvin Williams to Jim Rats and Joints. How you doing, Al? I'm doing well, man. That, that was a heck of a uh, intro. <laughs> I appreciate that one, that made Big me feel one. good. Good, man, well, you should yeah. feel good. I mean, it, th- this is a pretty historic time looking back, especially where the Raptors have come since then. And uh, honestly, and Javon and Andy are gonna get in here, we are so delighted uh, to have the opportunity to talk with you today. We know you're in Philadelphia. And uh, you know we're all here in the, the Greater Toronto area, and everybody's on Zoom, so it wouldn't be as great as having you in the room. But we're uh, we're really happy. I I, I guess I just want to start, Alvin. You know, the 25th anniversary of that shot. We showed it so many times during the playoff years, really starting in 2014, right up until the Raptors win the championship um, in in 2019, because it really was the defining moment in so many ways in the early days of, of the Raptors franchise, I I guess, as you look back now, you know, a lot of players say they aren't going to think about things until later when they're not players anymore. When you look back at that moment, that series, and I, I guess also the Philadelphia series, um, what are your, what are some of the things that you carry with you that, that make you feel the best? Oh, man, I, I think about all of those things. That playing on that
1: team and having the opportunity to back up Mark Jackson earlier that season, and learning so much from Mark um, than even the previous season that you mentioned when we got swept by the Knicks. And it's a funny story because Butch Carter was the coach there, and he, I mean he had us he had us so prepared, like ready mentally from a standpoint of how enthusiastic we were to play. We had training camp in Orlando that year, we got swept by the Knicks and we were ready to go. We had two a day practices. We went back, like it wasn't hard, but we were ready to go. And for some odd reason, we just, we just, when we got on the court, you know, the Knicks outplayed us, but I remember that game, game three, cause it was only five game series back then. He told everybody to wear a suit. So I go, I'm on, I don't know if it's King street or, no, I forgot what street it was, but I, young street, it was young street. And I said, yeah, I'm going to wear a suit. I got a fatigue camouflage suit, top to bottom, (laughs) hat, Timberlands and everything. And I remember Butch Carter was so pissed because I didn't have a suit on. And that was like a moment where I kind of defied the coach for like the first time. But it was something where I wanted to try to make a statement like we're going to fight and we're ready to go. But it didn't work because they still beat the hell out of us. But the next year, man, I think about all those stories. I think about all those times. The next year was just a moment where we were ready. We had, we had Charles Oakley. And after game one and we lost, Charles Oakley said, you know, he came back and challenged the coaching staff. And he said, we're not prepared as we should be for the playoffs. And after that, I just remember those next practices, we just went over and over the Knicks plays, over their personnel, and then by the end, wherever they drew a play, we already knew where they were going, and just they were prepared for us too. So that became a drag them out, you know, type of game. So Charles Oakley, his leadership and his veteran piece, made us got us to win that champion. I mean that series by um, by him getting us really prepared to play in a playoff atmosphere.
2: What was, what was Oakley like, man? Because I know in the media at that time, we were obviously younger at that point. <laughs> Um, you know, you had he just seemed like the father figure that the enforcer to everybody, but you still got that love from him, right? And then obviously you had the rift with with him and, and Vince or Vince's mom and, and media and so forth, which could have been blown out of proportion. We know that today. But you know, what was a guy like that in the in the locker room? Because I feel like there's not many of, you know, those those veteran pieces like you mentioned that really take guys under their wing and really be like like you said, he even challenged, you know, rallied you guys to challenge the coaches. Nobody's yeah. doing that today. Yeah. He 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 was it. He at that moment for our team, and I can only
1: imagine, you know, how he was with other teams, the Knicks especially, but for us, what he brought to us, he brought our identity, he brought a toughness. But what he was is just what you said. He would challenge us so much, and he's the guy like if, if you're not if you're not coming correct, he's going to check you, and so you always learn your p's and q's. You come in that locker room wearing wearing something that was off base. He's going to check you. You come in there you say something off base, he's going to check you. If you're not playing, if you're not working hard, he's going to check you. And at the same time, if you're doing the right things, he's going to let you be. And then, as you know, he's going to say, you know what, what you doing tonight? I'm not doing anything. Oh, come out with me tonight. It might be him and Michael Jordan. It might be him and somebody. You'd be like, wow, I'm just sitting here with, these guys, you know, having a good time, whatever the case, or you come over to the house, I have something to eat for you. Oh, I can't come over today. I got like three of my friends here or my girlfriend's here, my mom and dad, bring them all over. Let's go. Like he's that guy. Like before you get on the plane, he's making his tuna fish. Like before, like he's doing all of those things. So all across the board, he held us accountable, but he also came with so much love on and off that court, man, that it was something that that team needed. Now, if you weren't on your a game, he's somebody that you don't want to be around because he's going to check you. He's going to challenge you every single time. If you don't have that temperament, then, you know, you, you can fold. You definitely can fold. But you also know it comes from a place where he's coming from a good heart. But he also was that guy that was, you know, that was, you know, sometimes just hard on you. He wouldn't he wouldn't let up. He wouldn't let up. But he didn't care. He was old school. So you dealt with it or you fold it, however. But he was a big part for, for our team. I remember a story when Antonio Davis hurt his ribs and Chuck Mooney was our coach, that trainer at the time. And we had practice and you know, tones limping through the, not even limping, but just walking slowly through the, the locker room. And Oak's like, yo, where are you going, man? He's like, I gotta go get an MRI. He's like, for what? He's like, I hurt my ribs yesterday. They want to give me an MRI. He's like, man, you don't need an MRI. We got practice. Tony's like, I told you, Chuck, I don't need an MRI. And then he ain't never go get the MRI. Like he's that dude. Like Antonio was ready to skip out on practice on his man. He's like, man, you don't need an MRI. We got practice. And Tony was like, yeah, I don't need an MRI. Let's go. And so he was that dude, man. He's a great, great dude. Still talk to him today anything you know he's cooked he feeds the communities in different different neighborhoods so he you know he's a giver man so i love i love him.
3: I feel like all really really good teams have that guy to keep everybody in check you kind of see that today in the modern game with, with Draymond a little bit in golden state you know keeping everybody holding everybody accountable uh, but hey will man, I got to say, this is like a fanboy moment for me. Like, Hold <laughs> on, oh, no, 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 that's a fanboy <laughs> moment for me. I didn't even oh. recognize
1: it was you with that beard, man. <laughs> that's oh, the- it's been a long time. You know? <laughs> man, it's,
3: it's what's up, man? You know, it might be a little sacrilegious, obviously, you being a Nova guy me being a Q-S guy, but I got to say, man, you are one of my favorite Raptors of all time. You're right up there with, with Damon and, and Doug and Christie, like, you know, the, the real foundation of who the Raptors were and their identity. Thank you, man. I, I don't know if you ever remember this, but one of the moments that stick out the most to me, I was I was fortunate enough to be around the practice facility when I was younger. You know, A lot of the times probably shouldn't have been there, but mm-hmm. I remember one specifically, it was a hard practice. And I and think you were playing Sean Marks one-on-one and you were going about a thousand miles an hour. And I was like, this, I was like, this guy knows how to work. I was like, this is what, you know, they're going to be building on going forward in the future here. And to see you with that work ethic, it drove me, man. I got to be honest with you. And I, thank you. Years later, I'm wondering what, what that game was about because it seems like the strangest matchup to me. is like after practice, I'm like, "You guys must have been talking some shit and settling scores after the fact." But, uh, but man, big respect to you, and 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 I kind of just wanted to know what it was like, you know, making that transition from Philly coming up to Toronto, and and, and what the the shift in culture was like for you, especially being before the Raptors with the Raptors.
1: Right. No, it was um Now, first of all, I appreciate it, man, and big fan of yours as well. You and Jayvon, man. I watch you guys and it's always good when I got a chance to actually work with you guys when I was yep. working with the Canadian team, man, yep. was, yep. that was, that was, that was a, that was an enjoyable time for me, man. I was finished playing, but you guys, you guys set a fire for me, man. I was, I was really enjoyed that time just to be around you guys. You guys don't even understand how valuable it is for like old players. You might think we're harder on you guys and stuff like that, but it's such a pleasure to be around you guys and be able to, I got a chance to even work with you guys. So mm-hmm. I definitely big respect. And you know, I always boot for Villanova against you guys, but Hey, that's another story. Yeah, but, um, I you, you killed this though, but man, the, the <laughs> transition, the transition from Philly to, to Toronto, it wasn't that it wasn't a big transition because I went to port. It was bigger going to Portland because it was so far and I got traded, but that whole idea of going to another country, that was my first time ever being in Canada, but I really appreciated. it. I learned to appreciate the diversity and, the attitude in Canada and Toronto specifically because Philadelphia is just a, such a, it's a segregated city. It's a, um, it's a biased city. It's an intense city. And it's just, it's, it's a certain attitude that Philadelphia projects. Right. And when you grow up in that environment and you grow up with that mindset, it makes you a certain way. So when I got to Toronto, man, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm going to the clubs, ice grilling. I'm going, (laughs) feeling like I got to be a certain way. And it wasn't that at all. Mm. And initially, I think I I blew so many relationships and I, I put on something that wasn't me. I come from a loving home. I come from a background that, you know, everybody gets respect. And Toronto was that perfect thing for me. That was perfect for me. And when my friends used to come visit, man, nobody ever wanted to leave. My family didn't want to leave. And I always had to keep in the perspective that, you know, I play for the Raptors. So sometimes you get treated a little differently. You get preferential treatment, whatever, but it was authentic love. And I truly appreciated, appreciated that. And the basketball was easy. Like basketball was no matter where I was going to go, I was going to play it the same way. You have the ups and downs with coaches and certain, you know, positions on the team where I had to, I had to wait my turn. I had to wait my turn. There was a lot of uncertainty there, but you know, as far as my transition going to Toronto, it honestly, man, was the best thing, the best thing in my life. Even if I didn't have a certain level of success that I had ultimately with the Raptors, it still would have been one of the best things in my life because of the people in the in the
0: community that I was involved with. People from Toronto love to hear when people come to Toronto and, and they love it like that. So that's uh that, that warms my heart to hear how how much. You enjoyed it, your family members, your friends that that came to visit. And I do think, you you know, you mentioned the preferential treatment. I think that since day one, um, the guys who wear the Raptors uniform are beloved in this city. I mean, right away, just the fact that you are a Toronto Raptor, um, you know, I don't want to say it gives people carte blanche in Toronto, but people are going to um, be so interested in what you're doing and, and what your story is. A huge part of the story for you with the Raptors, Al, in that era is is Vince Carter. Real Um,
1: quick, real quick, Dan, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Why why is it so important
0: for Canadians to to get that affirmation from other people, from other places? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a, maybe an inferiority complex to to the United States. You know, there's the saying that, um, the United States sneezes and Canada catches a cold, right? Mm. It it America is just such a beast, such a behemoth. And we're Canada's kind of this small place up in the north, you know, we're the outpost. We know everything about America. The Americans know very little about Canada. So when you know when the when the tables turn and Americans, but I don't want to limit it to that. I think it's people from all over the world. There is a satisfaction to Canadians knowing that hey, that you know they came here and uh, they really like our place because we're nice right. people. I, I I really think it. I I think it boils down to that. I'm no I'm no psychologist, but now, just to just to run off of that, um, I also think. You were able,
2: you had a willingness, and I think AR and I ex- experienced this going to Europe as well, um, just being closed-minded in, in a sense. You also had a willingness to be open-minded and, and um, you know, assimilate and, and absorb the culture here as well, right? For us, not, every, not everybody that comes here is. Um, and I think, you know, in America, you don't necessarily have to because, you know, you're People live the American dream and they have everything at their fingertips. So we've always been second fiddle. We've always been the little, the little brother. Um, right. I think to, you're probably asking that question as to why, why would we be second nature when there's there's so much culture here, there's so much you know diversity and, and so forth. But at the same time, it's also a credit to you just being open minded.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see it, man. I see it in certain ways, even even when you, when you see this racial divide and you see things like that, like it, it bothers me when a certain individual, a certain group or a race, whatever feels in, inferior, right? And they look for affirmation for another group mm-hmm. to say their value. And I, I got a chance to say, like, even if I didn't, I wasn't American, I would've been like, man, forget everybody else because we are, I, I used to go back home and say I played for the Raptors early on. They'd be like, who the rappers? Are they in the NBA? Like, they didn't even not play in the NBA. And it's until a point where they come on later and then it's like, oh, okay, Vince Carter. Oh, okay, da-da-da. And whatever the case may be. And it used to piss me off. And then it started pissing me off a little bit more when we would have our team and then we would make it a big deal if somebody else wanted to so, so happen, say they like Toronto and wanted to play for the team. And I'm like, yo, we've been here already. Who cares if somebody from the Knicks come or somebody here and they say they like this? We already know what it's about here. So it kind of like was always looking for that next person to to come in and validate what we already knew. And so it was. My you, own you have it had it,
2: that mindset. Did you have that mindset? Let's just say, you know, back in your Villanova days, when you don't know, at that point, did you know much about Canada? Did you know much about Toronto? I didn't know anything. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a yeah. part of it. Yeah. I didn't
1: know anything. I didn't yeah. know anything. But you you know what? It still was like, I can't, I totally get what you guys are coming from, but I just know it used to just piss me off where I'm like, all right, like who cares what the US media thinks? Cause guess what? They're not even playing. I went, when the Raptors won the championship, right? I went to Mexico that mm-hmm. summer. And when they showed a commercial, they showed the year before, they showed Golden State <laughs> celebrating the championship. And I was like, what the hell? Like <laughs> enough is enough now, enough is enough. So it's just one of those things where I know exactly what Canada is in Toronto, especially, man. It's I, I wouldn't I wouldn't look to validation from no
0: goddamn body. It's part of my language from nobody. <laughs> hey, it's a podcast. We we can all say whatever we want. Let let, let me put it let me put it in this uh, frame, Alvin. You were playing in the days of the Vancouver Grizzlies. Okay, mm-hmm. they didn't make it. Um, they were in the league for five, six years, and then they, they get sold and they move to Memphis. And, you know, there's a lot of hope that a team will go back to Vancouver one day, but it's iffy, you know, if the NBA expands, it's probably Seattle and Vancouver ahead of any, uh, sorry, Seattle and Vegas ahead of anyone else. But a lot of people point to your time with the Raptors winning those playoffs and the Vince Carter era. Um, which I think ended with some controversy when he was traded from the team. I think the the question on my mind and and what I've always been interested in from you and and speaking to Morris Peterson and Jerome Williams and Antonio Davis is that, I guess it was called in a movie, the Carter effect. Mm -hmm. What was it like being teammates with Vince Carter on the floor, but also with, the, everything that became of that with him being such a superstar in the American media, as well as in Canada. It was
1: great. It was great for me because Vince was a great dude. Great. Vince was a great person. And I just got a chance to witness the explosion. I, I remember like after practice, Vince and I would go to the mall eating center and we walk through that mall. Like it was nothing. They may stay, hide events, stop, they confused me. They thought I was somebody else. One time they called me Tracy. They didn't even know who the hell I was. But it was it was cool. And then when the season started that fast, we couldn't go anywhere. And Vince was still trying like, yeah, hey, Book, let's go. Let's go. Here. I'm like, I'm not. I didn't, it wasn't even enjoyable. So I just saw that, that explosion. And I also saw how Vince had to change as a person as well. He became a little less patient. You know, he was... He put a demeanor on, like, like, kind of like, not a tough guy demeanor, but it, he, was he was impatient. Impatient. Yeah. He had one of these dispositions where it's just like, that's not you, man. You're the laughing guy. You, you like music. You dance. Like, like you can be that person, but it also was that time. You know, that, w- that was our thug life uh, uh, moment, early 2000s, the baggy stuff. You roll about 35 dudes with you, you got your jewelry. So it was like a persona that a lot of NBA players used to put on. But Vince was a great dude. And I saw, I saw how he, he started mastering the game a little bit, you know, start, you know, becoming that person where teams were afraid of him. They were afraid to be on the highlight reel. real. But he also started learning the game more, became a better shooter, great passer, all these things. And he was just, he was just a great player that I enjoyed playing with. And it is sad that how it ended, right? Like Vince is supposed to be probably the biggest figure in in sports history almost in Canada, not you know, disrespecting any other figures. But Vince was the guy who started it all for Canada, for Toronto. So, you know, it was unfortunate the way it ended. But I'm glad that he got a chance to get back and, you know, the fans show their appreciation and support. So, but no, I, I love playing with V.C. He, he was a great dude. He is a great dude, rather.
2: You, you speak about, like, obviously, V.C. was, you know, at superstar level, right? Um, and I think when we're looking at the NBA today, we're seeing a lot more guys that were in your position, you know, c- coming the second round guys and, and work their way up into rotation. Raptors are, are, you know, they have a number of those guys there. What's that like? We can talk about VC rappers forever, but like, you know, just take a dive into your path and what's that like? You know, you go into training camps, training camps and a second round guy, and you're looking at this this lottery pick that has everything guaranteed. You know, how do you navigate that mentally um in a way that you're able to establish yourself? Because you because you did it.
1: yeah. yeah I mean, honestly. Ignorance because I didn't even know I didn't have a guaranteed contract my first year. So <laughs> I was in there. I was in there playing, man. I didn't even realize,
3: this bliss, I, man.
1: hey, I went, I was going around and I remember an agent calling me was like, all right, you got one more day and you're going to be on the team. I'm like, what? I'm already on the team. <laughs> He's like, no, they're, they're making cuts. You got to make, you got to sign your guaranteed contract, you know, at the end of these cuts. And at the time I was in Portland and it was Bob Whitsitt and Jim Paxson. And every time they walked in the gym after practice, I would go the opposite way to the gym. Like they weren't going to catch me if they wanted to cut me. So I'm trying to stay away from them, but I ended up making a team. And that was luckily, I don't know if I'm lucky not to know, or if I would have put more pressure on myself, but I just didn't know. I didn't know much about the business, man. And then when it came down to approaching training camp after that, I always felt like I had to make the team, no matter what deal I signed. I always felt like I had to make the team. I mean, I was in practice a few times where they brought Hayward Workman in and they brought other guards in. While we're practicing, they're working out on the other court. And I'm like, damn, like they're gonna just bring the dude in right in front of me to take my spot and like no no hiding. So the business is crazy,
2: but I always had that. You didn't play in Europe. Huh? Clearly you didn't play in Europe. That's 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 everyday. <laughs> so no, they'll, have, they'll have a guy
3: waiting in, the, waiting in the first row of the of the, practice, uh, of the seats just watching practice, waiting to replace you. <laughs> That's crazy. Time.
1: I had a buddy named Sean Colson who played over in Italy as well. He he actually got cut by the rat. Carlos Arroyo came down to him and Carlos okay. Arroyo. Sean Colson. After that, he's like, yeah, I'm going. I think he was going to France. He's going to France. Yeah. And they already had a guard. He's like, they bring him me in. They're going to cut him tomorrow. And they bring him. I'm like, huh? They're going to cut him and bring you in. I was like, man, that's a dirty game over there, man. So I I get it. But it it was similar to that. Like Butch Carter, Butch Carter was ruthless, man. Butch Carter was, he was in that thing trying to find the right piece to go along with what he was trying to develop. And I didn't fit in that piece, but... Every day I went into training camp, every day I went to practice. Just like what you said, me and Sean Marks were playing one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Like, every time I was there, I had to go hard because I felt like I always had to prove something. I was in college. It was the same thing. I remember sitting in the office, and my junior year, going into my junior year, I was going to be the lone starter. And my coach held me, called me in the office and was like, you're the starter. You're riding you. You and Kerry Kittle going to be my backcourt. We had open gym Thirty minutes later, I see Stefan Marbury in the gym, and they're recruiting him. So I knew if he would have committed, that was going to be his job. <laughs> yeah. So I, I never, I never felt comfortable, man. So that was always my approach.
3: Man, Kerry Kittles and and, and Tim Thomas, two of my favorite favorite oh, college players of all time, and and, and right along there with you. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of a couple guys, you got early glimpses at, obviously, you know, T Mac was one of them. I'm kind of curious to know, you know, did you think T Mac would have that projection? you know, where he ultimately wound up. And then in 2005, I I think you only played one game because you had that recurring knee injury. Mm -hmm. Uh, And LeBron came in as a rookie and dropped 50. I was at that game. I remember it vividly. Now, do you remember thinking to yourself, okay, their ceiling is here? Or do you think it's, okay, it's a fluky game? You know, obviously, Tracy was in the dunk contest. He did some things. Did you think their ceiling would be, you know, legend status at the end of the day?
1: Tracy, I did. Okay. Tracy, because... Tracy's original role when he played alongside Vince was to do everything. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was thinking, or somebody else was thinking, Tracy would play the point, he would guard the points, he just couldn't shoot. Mm -hmm. And Tracy was still so raw. Like, Tracy would dribble to the left with his right hand. Like, come off a down screen, going to the left, he'd still be dribbling with his right hand. I'm like, yo, young buck, you can't, (laughs) like, somebody's gonna take that, right? But I also saw he was athletic as heck, and, he had an understanding of he could do everything else on the court. So he was really, you know, Vince's Robin. Like the day, like when Vince couldn't guard somebody, Tracy could guard him. He can guard all the positions. He can guard one through three at that time. That was the league. But he can handle the ball, he could pass it. And then he started finishing around the basket. Then we started calling plays for him and he just started growing. And defensively, that's why I was like, he's on a different projection. Then I thought, and his game just turned into, like, that score. But I knew he was going to be good, man, because he was so raw. And I talk a lot about Butch Carter, but Butch Carter is a big reason, I think, for his success and a foundation, because Butch put a lot of work with them, and Vince as well, and gave Vince that foundation. Those two together with Butch Carter early on, they worked their butts off. And Butch demanded a lot, and so did Charles Oakley. So they were – and all our veterans did – Kevin Willis, Muggsy, all we had a lot of Vets. So they they were. But Vince, I mean, Tracy, I I saw him being that dude. Like yeah. he he had it. He definitely had oh, yeah. it.
0: If there's one era of the Toronto Raptors I could talk about all day, it's that two thousand two thousand one. 2001 2002 those three teams are in my mind and in my heart uh literally forever. Um we're with Alvin Williams on Jim Rats and Joints. We're going to take a break. Um but when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about the Raptors past and that includes the 2019 championship and maybe a little bit about the raptors future so stick around by the way rate us review us wherever you listen to podcasts and we will be back with more with raptors legend alvin williams in a moment
2: millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads
0: and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right So it was May 4th, 2001, Madison Square Garden. Alvin Williams hits the winning shot. I believe there were maybe 40 seconds left. It gives the Raptors uh, a four-point lead that they would never relinquish. And the Raptors win their first NBA postseason series. It was a, You could see the sigh of relief along with the happiness and joy as Alvin Williams and Vince Carter, Charles Oakley, Lenny Wilkins walk off the court. Um, Before we get to the the pinnacle of the Raptors' success, Alvin, in 2019 when when you were a, a television announcer during that, I'd like to go back to a series that I think isn't remembered as well, and that's the Detroit series in 2002 um i was fortunate to uh, enough to be at all five of the games the pistons are the nba champions the following year in 2003 and, and the raptors had a really tough season they're at 30 and 38 vince goes down and you and antonio davis lead the team to a nine game winning streak right back into the playoffs where you're a lower seed i think 8 or maybe 7 and you have to play a really tough Detroit Pistons team that was on the come-up, and the home team wins every game in that series. I thought it was some of the most fierce, competitive, close basketball um, that I've personally ever seen night in and night out, um, being a spectator there. I I feel like this, this series gets... Not even footnoted in history, and I'd love to to get some closure on it. I'd love to hear your words about that Detroit series in O2. Yeah, that, that
1: was that was a series that that season meant so much because that was a tough season. We battled through a lot of injury, and I remember I think we were in Cleveland, and Coach Wilkins called myself and Vince in his room and told us he was shutting us down, and you know, just get ready because Vince's knee was bothering him. And I had ankles, I had spurs in my ankle. And I remember him saying he's going to shut us down. And I I asked him, I was like, are we out the playoffs? And he was like, no, but, you know, it's not looking good. We have to win this many games in order to get there. And we only have these many games left. So I was like, well, until we're out, I want to play. And he allowed me to play. And we went on a roll, like somehow we went on a roll and Vince wasn't there. Like Vince was there emotionally, and supported us, but he wasn't playing. And, you know, our our identity for the most part was Vince Carter. So it was something where we got a chance to play, you know, improve ourselves as a team without the superstar. And Vince definitely carried us, but we got a chance to do that without Vince. Now I'm looking back, I wish we had him, we probably would have beat him. But um that was that was a heck of a series. Detroit was a tough team. Stackhouse was playing tough. And you know, I didn't play that well that series, especially on the road. I played better at home, but um I remember that time. I had to get like immediate surgery right after that on my ankle. Um, Vince had to get surgery, and we just never really recovered after that. We never really recovered. But that was that was that moment where JYD stepped up. I mean, Keon Clark, Chris Childs, Del Curry. Chris Charles is the man, like, oh my God, Chris. Like we we were battling back in Detroit, man. Game five. I don't know if you remember. And Del Curry I, do. Um, I, was, I was thinking, it, I was thinking it up. And Del Curry came in for me. And Del Curry did the exact same thing he did the previous year against Sixers and made big threes. He was killing Detroit. And we drew this play up. He got us back in the game, drew it, drew the play up for Del Curry to come off a floppy action, whatever, wide open. And Chris Child somehow just decided to shoot that thing. And (laughs) we were down three or we down two or three. I think we we were down three and he shot it. Ball went out of bounds game time. And it was just like, we had a brain. We had a brain freeze as a team right there, but we, that was, that was a great team. We battled, we battled, but that was, that was a significant series for us. I think individually because Vince, he wasn't
3: able to be out there to play with us. Hey, Al, can Dell Del in his prime, let's say the game was the way it is today where the three ball was really, really heavy. Mm-hmm. Where does he stack up against Steph? Does he, can he even hold a candle to him?
1: Um, I don't think so. Because Steph, he's off the dribble. Yeah.
3: Like just shooting-wise. Uh-huh. Catch and I shoot, Dell might be one of the best of all time.
1: Yeah, man. I, I haven't seen... I haven't seen someone that can shoot like that like because I used to guard Dell in practice Uh and I'm fighting over screens. You meet him there when he get the ball. I'm there with him. He's still letting it fly. And I remember my first time playing against Dell. He was in Milwaukee and I remember him crossing half court and they swung him the ball and he shot it. And when he shot it, I had to look back. (laughs) see where the hell he was. I swear to God, I didn't see the line. I was, he just crossed half court. I was like, damn. Like, so he was, like, Dell was one of the best shooters catching, catching release. And he used to always tell me his coach taught him how to have his feet set before the ball got there. So all he had to do was just shoot it. He never had to set his feet. Like his feet were set before the catch. Mm -hmm. And that was his like forte, but no, Dell, hell of a shooter, man.
2: But yeah, that, that series was great. That was a great series for us. All right, so since we start to go down this path, I'm going to push it a little more. What generation has your generation or this this current generation, you getting better basketball, better quality of basketball, better players, um, better teams? I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to put you on the spot and say to MJ, LeBron, we're not going to do that. Just Let's talk about generation.
1: (laughs) It's it's different, man. It's so different. The players today are so skilled. They're so skilled across the board. Like, so they've taken the position out of it. They take the, your typical, you know, big man, post, wingman, slasher, point guard, facilitator, two guard. Like, it's so different. Like, everyone's doing some similar things. Mm-hmm. So the game is different, it's more wide open. I think the mental approach, how you how you attack different individual matchups is different because you see a lot of switching on defense. You see a lot of people have similar roles. For instance, a point guard back when I was playing, they had to think the game, they had to facilitate, they had to get people a ball in the right spot. If they made, if Mo Pete made three shots in a row, then I might have to flag Vince off one second and say, let me get the Mo Pete because he's rolling. We're going to get you. If I penetrate and find something here, I may, like, so it's a way I had to think differently than a point guard typically today. But they're scorers, They're better shooters. They're better, you know, different things like that. So the game is totally different. Mm-hmm. But the generation that I played, it was just transitioning, you know, more of that physicality, that that hard nose. But you had to have a defensive presence. Like, you had to have that. You had to be able to guard your man. You had to be – if you wanted more value, you had to be able to guard multiple positions. And you had to play be able to play multiple positions for more value. So it's just – different responsibilities for past generations to this generation. You can, you can be successful in the NBA one doing one thing, right? You could be one thing. You could be a rebounder or you could be a shooter or you could be like athletic or a hustle guy. But you know, when we were playing and you guys too, like, If you were a scorer, if you were a shooter, you gotta learn how to put that ball on the floor and create another way. If you had to put it on the floor, you had to learn how to shoot. So you had to do certain things. And I think that's where the game is different, but I'm not saying one is better than the other. It's just totally different, different approach.
0: Well, one guy who maybe plays that old style, old school basketball, who has a multifaceted skill set is Kyle Lowry. Uh, acquired by the Raptors in a trade in 2012. And, you know, I I had seen him play a little bit, but he really brought to mind because of the Villanova connection, he, he made me and I'm sure many other people think of you, Alvin. And you look at the two of you, both from Philadelphia, both went to Villanova. So right away, there was a connection. I would imagine you already knew him possibly before he got to the NBA. I, I think that the question that I pose to you is, did you ever see similarities in the way that the two of you not only played the game, but approached the game and the entire lifestyle that comes with it?
2: Hey, DG, you forgot emotional Philly guys. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know what, man? No,
1: Kyle and I are like two Different dudes. I grew up in Mount Airy, which where Kyle grew up. They wouldn't even consider my as part of town, Philadelphia, right? Like I grew up in a middle class section. I had grass out in front of my house, row homes, but it was grass out in front of my house. Where Kyle grew up in North Philly, that's the hood. That's the hood of the hoods. It's barely any grass. It's 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 a whole different neighborhood. It's a whole different approach, but. Kyle was not a Villanova, quote unquote Villanova guy. Andy, you might understand what I'm saying about that. Mm-hmm. Kyle, I mean, Villanova has that guy that that like the nice guys. Like even Villanova is on the main line. So all the other city schools, Temple, LaSalle, St. Joe's, Penn, Drex, they're the city schools. They're, they're the city. We're the prissy, you know, uppity guys that, you know, couldn't cut it. And a lot of the guys. They come from like upstate New York or New Jersey and stuff like that. So it was—I was the first, actually. I, actually, I was the first person to come from Philadelphia to go to Villanova since like 1973. It was like 20 years when I went in '93. So Kyle wasn't a Villanova guy, and he gave Jay Wright so many headaches, like being that person that he was, like this person that he was. But the one thing he was tenacious, and Kyle would—he would. He would be late for certain team, team meetings or team gatherings, not because he overslept or was doing something else. He would be with Jameer Nelson 5:30 in the morning, working out. So he had a path where I had to realize like, yo, he's not intentionally, you know, undermining Jay or whatever, but he has a plan to do something much greater than Villanova. Typically, when you get to those universities, they make it like the universities, the end-all, be-all, and that's that's Mm -hmm. it. Kyle was like, I'm using Villanova as a stepping stone to get where I want to get to. And that wasn't typical in my mind. Like, we're four years, we go there, you give your blood, sweat, and tears, Mm -hmm. and you can come back when they want you back. But Kyle had a different approach, and he took that same approach to the NBA. And it wasn't until later in his career where he started realizing how to put it all together. Kyle is still a jerk that he's always been. He's always the stubborn guy, the person. He's still is that, but he knows how to work it and he knows the importance of relationships. He knows the importance of perception now. He knows the importance and he has matured. He's a father, a hell of a dude, but he's definitely matured into that role. But we're two totally different guys, but our approach to the game was serious and that's the similarities. Mm.
3: It's funny you mentioned that about, about Kyle at school. You know, I feel like Mello had the same agenda when he went there. I got to visibly, you know, be able to see him in between classes in the gym. You know, mm. uh, he's supposed to be at a team event. He's in the gym. You know, they use it as a stepping stone. So, yeah. you know, in light of, you know, kind of alluding to the college life, what was playing for Jay really like and what separates him from most college coaches? Because he seemed to figure out, you know, the alchemy to, to be a, a very successful program. And he's, he's obviously been coach of the year multiple times. What What is it like playing for Jay?
1: Yeah. So I never actually played for Jay. I played oh, for Steve. Okay. Lattis, okay. But I was recruited by Jay, but Jay was, he was like the low man on the totem pole, oh, but man. I used to go up there and play against the team. So when Randy Foy, even Scotty Reynolds, it was Scotty Reynolds freshman year when I would be up there playing. Okay. So Jay, He's not the cool smooth dude that he shows himself. Parents-wise, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Parents-wise, he's yeah. you know smooth, but he'll curse you out with the best of them. But what Jay does a great job in, once again, he gets you to believe, right? He gets you to believe, and we know that's half the battle, right? To believe in what he's saying. And he gets the right kid. He gets the right family. And he does those things. And the things that Jay Wright is doing and has done my coach didn't do. My coach wasn't trying to talk to the alumni. He wasn't trying to do all of those things. Jay would take time out and make sure you understand what Villanova basketball is about. He developed that brand. So Jay is not only he's a hell of an X's and O's coach, he's a great manager, he's a great speaker, he's a great business guy, he's a great communicator. So Jay is like that guy, but he's hard as hell to play for, like any coach, right? He's hard as hell to play for, he demands a lot. But he does, he he gets the most out of his guys. And, and that's in the proof, right? You see the guys that's going to the NBA. You see the success that they have in the NBA. And I also believe Jay was one of those guys on the college level that really start translating into where the NBA is today, small ball, Multiple, busi- multiple positions, multiple skill sets, and just having people play a freestyle mm-hmm. of game with some discipline behind it. So, yeah, we saw a lot of
3: sets who could play multiple and defend multiple positions. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He really did his thing.
2: You played like who would you say were some of your your most memorable and favorite teammates from you know college all the way on up to your your professional career? I mean, you've gone through what is it nine years? You played in the league. Yeah, yeah. My man, man, um,
1: well starting, you know, high school, everybody, you, you know, we know how that is, right? Your high school buddies, everybody come up, because that's the purest form, like even mm-hmm. before high school now, but that's the purest form. You finish playing, you go out, hang out, mm-hmm. go to the crib, you hang out, you just, so that's the best thing. And then college, Kerry Kittles was, I mean, Kerry Kittles showed me another level of being what being good is. Like, I remember me coming down, used to think I had a Tim Hardaway crossover out of high school. Kerry took it from me, dunked it on me all in the same play. I ain't never been, I was like, hold on, man, this is, and I never even heard of this dude. I never even heard of Kerry Kittle. So, but Kerry was probably the best player that I played with, you know, at that, uh, definitely in college, but even throughout, because Kerry just, his, his ability to take, I never saw someone at that level be able to take over a game individually, defensively, shooting wise, moving without the ball, cutting, like all those things. And then Tim Thomas was great. And then I had Philly guys with me, a guy by the name of Jonathan Haynes and, and and uh and Jason Lawson. But I had great college guys, Chuck Cornegy, Eric Ebers. We had we. I love my teammates. But on the pro level, man, when I first got to when I first got to Portland, J.R. Ryder was my guy. Like J.R. Ryder, um, Brian Grant. I was his, I was his rook. Um, Rashid Wallace, of course, from Philly. Um, Gary Trent. Like though me and Gary got traded to Toronto together. And then here and here in Toronto, man, it was, I can't even start. Charles Oakley, Muggsy, Dell, Doug, you know, uh uh D Brown, um, Mark Jackson, Antonio, Kevin Willis, like all of our old heads, yeah. we had true old heads, like from top to bottom, man. And they were the most thorough people. They were, they were sitting in the locker room, sh- st- uh, share stories with you, take you out to eat, make sure you wanted for nothing, no matter what, man. It was like we had a true environment of leadership, mm-hmm. a true environment of leadership. And what they did also, they held the coach, at that time, Butch Carter, accountable because they knew everything. They knew from the management side, they knew contracts, they knew playing time, and they all were still active and they still could play. So it was always man. We had some of the funniest team meetings with those guys, man. Because you know, when you're a player, a lot of times the coach they can manipulate a situation. They can even brainwash you to think you not not with the old heads. They weren't going for it. <laughs> anything. Which Carter shot at them, they shot it back twice. Yeah, so it was you, guys, uh, you still stay in touch with everybody? Not everybody as much, but when you know Raptors do a great job bringing guys back as alumni. Yeah, and we spend time. So like the last time we were back during the playoffs last year. Or before COVID, um, Jose Calderon came back, Antonio, Muggsy, Oakley, and Kevin Willis. We all came back, and then we do our little appearance, and we go hang out, sit at the bar, have a couple drinks. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a good time, man. So we had some – Toronto had some legends come through that organization, man. Um, they might not have been at the level at that of uh, play where they were, but we had some legends come through. Akeem Olajuwon, he didn't spend much time, but Akeem Olajuwon was there. Chris Child, man, we had we had some great, great, great people, man. So yeah, I had a lot of great teammates. I can't say I had
0: any any jerks, man. I had a lot of great teammates. Nice. Well, believe it or not, I played high school basketball at Crescent School here. In I do Toronto. believe it. And yeah, my my high school buddies from the team, we are still friends to this day. Jeff Barton, Darren Newman, Reed St. Jacques. Shout out to those guys. Alvin, the the 2019 team breaks through with Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Gasol, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka, Kyle Lowry, Norman Powell, and others, Coach Nick Nurse. They win the NBA championship. Obviously, a life highlight for almost all of Canada. I haven't really heard from the Toronto Raptors alumni perspective, what that felt like. I would love to know. And I was working with you then, and you were doing TV. Mm -hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I sensed something. I could see it in your eyes. I sensed it in, in Leo Routon's eyes. He had been around since day one. And I would just love to know what it was like, what kind of satisfaction there was for you personally, and maybe some of those old heads that you mentioned, Adele Curry or a Charles Oakley. What did it feel like, and what did it mean to you when the Raptors won it in 2019? No, I felt great. I mean, I, I ain't gonna lie, I had some hate. You know,
1: I always wish I wish that was you out there and you wish that. So it's like, damn, like I wish my team, or that was my team where they're not better than when we were playing. So you have that feeling. But I was fortunate enough to have a chance to work, like you said, with you, and with the team and follow the team. And then even more fortunate enough to be close with Kai. and and seeing that, you know, seeing his his growth and seeing that accomplishment. It was something that meant the world to me. And it was just great seeing the fans, you know, getting a chance to witness their fans. Cause like I said, it's a true place when it comes with Toronto fans. I really believe it's not, you know, you push you have your, you know, Johnny come lately's and you're, you know, going with the win fans, but you know, the base of the fan base, the base, the fan base is a true fan base. And it was good seeing them to, to witness that and be a part of that. And then when you, when you are working like, like someone like Leo, who's been there since the beginning, you really are a part of that. Like you're, you're a part of everything. You are a part of it as well, Dan. Like you guys put so much work in behind the scenes. You guys travel. You guys are there with us. You guys share stories. So when that thing happens like that, it's not just the people, and that's what a lot of people forget. It, it, it takes more than just those twelve or fifteen people on that. On that on that stage to make sure that it works, it takes a whole organization. And your top organizations, they definitely have that. They definitely have that in place. And everybody deserves to you know reap the benefits of a team, the players winning the championship. Of course, the players get the credit. They deserve the credit. But it takes so much more, and it's, it's no accident why people can be emotional and have an understanding of a part of what they what what, this, what the team just
3: accomplished. Mm. Uh, Al, I think we, we would be uh, a little remiss as former players, not to talk about your transition out of hoop. Um, like you said, you've done some broadcasting stuff. Um, you know, we know you have the Academy hoops uh, that was founded there in Philadelphia, Uh team 100. I, you know, I was following uh pro capita on LinkedIn for a little bit. Now let us know what you have your hand in right now. And, and, you know, how, how easy was it or, or difficult was it for you to transition out and, and realize, you know, you had to, let that ego as a basketball player subside. Yeah,
1: it was it was an easy transition, man. It okay. was seamless. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I succeed in everything I put together. I succeeded, so it was the easiest thing. It was actually easier than basketball. Okay, you believe that?
3: I, I can. No, <laughs> no. Oh, is no. It I'm in right now? Hey, no. man, <laughs>
1: that, that transition—it was the hardest thing in life for me, man. Mm-hmm. Like not being able to play again, and actually not being ready to, I wasn't ready to stop, right? Yeah. I remember Brian Colangelo called me in his office, was like, yo, how do you read your contract? And I was like, man, I didn't read that contract since the day I signed it five years ago. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, if you can't play because of your need, then we don't. We can buy you out. We can just X, X the contract, or whatever. So that was an eye-opening thing, like, damn, the Toronto Raptors don't want me anymore. Yeah. Right? That was hard for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you cannot tell me that I was going to be I wasn't going to be in Toronto forever mm-hmm. and you weren't going to tell me that you know a new GM would come in there and have the authority to say we don't want you here and not because of you can't play because what we're paying you we don't feel like that's gonna help us in the future. I didn't have any understanding of management and running a team. I respect it now and understand it now, Mm -hmm. but those things I had to get through. I had to get through still trying to come back and play and teams saying no. Like, Mm -hmm. nah, I had teams telling me I lost my explosiveness. I was like, when the hell was I ever explosive? So (laughs) I know for a fact that they weren't really paying attention to me. (laughs) So really getting through that and during that time, I I had a child. And I'm still trying to, you know, get back in the NBA. I'm staying in L.A. working out and all these things, man. I, I never forget. I signed a 10-day contract with the Clippers. And the day before they were going to re-up my contract, the next game we were playing was going against, to be against the Raptors. So I was going to get a chance to play the Raptors. And I get off the plane, yeah. and Mike Dunleavy, who was my very first NBA coach, told me we weren't going to re-sign So I was like, damn, I wanted to get back and play against – the Raptors. So that happened. And then, you know, the the sourness of the business started really getting to me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just go play pro-am, go back home to Philly, play pro-am and get back to the the love of the game. And I just started doing that. And just sitting around, I'm hanging out, I'm hanging out more, spending money, um, trying to figure out my relationship. My daughter's born. So I'm just trying to figure all these things out where I never had to do it before. Luckily, I had a lot of support from my family Mm -hmm. and Jay Triano, man, Jay Triano gave me a call when Sam Mitchell got fired and Jay Triano called me and was like, yo, I I love the way you carried yourself when I got a chance to work with you. I would love for you to be on my coaching staff as a player development coach. And that was it. That helped me get out of my funk. That helped me, you know, have some more value in life, feeling like I have value. And once again, I was, I was so happy that Jay called me because this is how things happen. I tell kids all the time and not you guys aren't kids, but I tell the kids I work with, you just never know who you come across, right? I remember Jay was pretty much serving as an intern for the Raptors, but he and I would spend so much time where no one would talk to Jay. I would talk to Jay. He would help me with my free throws. He would tell me about Steve Nash, so many things. And we would just, we became friends, but nobody else, it was just me. And then who knew years later, he would be the head coach and would get me out of the position where I'm when I'm up here at the time, he gets me out of position when I'm all the way down. Mm-hmm. So that relationship with Jay and just that that saved me. That saved me, and that helped me get out of my funk. And then when I got back to Toronto, started meeting people, being open now. Now I'm not too afraid to try to start a business or try too afraid to you know, jump into a different industry, whether it's finance or, you know, just some entrepreneurial stuff. So Team 100 is my latest venture. It's a sports management company where we work with families and clients to help them do all the things that I've been through um, and provide that type of support as well. And then we have programming to universities and teams and PAs that we try to provide that for the people within the, the families. And again, it's financial education, mental health. And we connected to because you can make all the financial decisions that you want. If you're not a complete person, if you're not there emotionally, because you guys know you got to make some big time decisions at a young age, right? Okay. And sometimes we're not equipped for it. So we try to support in all these facets of an individual life, but also we try to support the families. So they, they are educated what the individual is going through because one individual shouldn't be responsible to take care of everyone. I love so we that. just try to lend a lot of support with that. So that's what I'm currently doing now. I have some wonderful partners um, in different industries that's joined us and believe in the mission and it's fun, man, and I think I might take on this high school coaching job, I do the broadcast, okay. so I'm trying to, I'm trying to see that's what I'm tough. doing,
3: man,
2: but I'm still, but that transition was hard as hell, man, like yeah. no lie. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny, because Andy and I talk about it all the time, and it, I think that's a component of the game that we don't speak of enough, and like you went through it, like you're, you're extremely vulnerable, like you said, you're at a low point, and you've never had to really communicate. Or we like, we don't know how to communicate, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much like we, we've we worked hard and a lot of stuff has been done for us. Like even for myself, going to college, I didn't even know how to apply for college, but I ended up at the University of Michigan. That's all because of the work you put in. Now, after when you're thrown out into the world and you're just there trying to navigate and figure things out, it's tough because you're already in a low place. You've been identified, you've done, you've played hoops all your life. So now it's just like refreshing to hear like you, somebody that's obviously played at a higher level than us and had more success than us still have those same struggles. So, you know, mm-hmm. able to navigate it. So yeah. no, that's, that's special to hear, but that, you know, now that brings my, my bad, but
1: I sit there with my partners because we're all former athletes, right? Yep. Some stop in high school, some stop in college. And they always say, you know, what do you think? Because you play, I say, no, it's not where I play, man. We all went through the same, we all had to stop doing what we put so much time into doing. I don't care what it's about. Like, I don't care what level, I don't care how much money you made. Mm-hmm that don't matter, man. It's like, we gotta figure it out now because we've identified and people identified us with one thing, right? Yes. So it's, it's that transition. So that's like, it should be a community, man, of support for athletes because there's no discredit to anyone else. No one that loves us, our family members, our best friends, but they haven't gone through it emotionally. Yeah. They haven't gone through it, you know, psychologically. They haven't gone through the things. Only we've gone through those things, yeah. right? And of course you can't sit there with a pity party but for people, a community to understand and just bounce it off of each other, it means so much. I've had those. I had some of the best conversations with my buddy I mentioned at Villanova, John Haynes, and we we finally got vulnerable enough to say, "Yo, I'm not all right, man. Like, yeah. how we get? How do we get
2: through this?" And that was very helpful for both of us. That's real. That's as real as it gets. Hundred percent. But. Keep it real now, how much are you sweating when you're, when you're doing those broadcasts and the camera's on you, you're behind the camera. Now, now let's keep it real. Hey, 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 listen.
1: Hey, listen, this one I realized I was a rook, right? So it was two years ago, I'm with Sherm Hamilton, my main man, so I'm like, Sherm, listen, we gotta watch some video and get some reports so we can be on the same page. She's like, what? I'm not watching no video. I don't need to watch. So I'm like, you don't watch? She's like, man, I'm prepared already. So I'm like, damn, I'm trying to watch video. I don't know what the hell to do. And I get on camera, man. I'm sweating. I I, I sweat naturally all the time, man. But it's like anything else. It's like, you got to be prepared. And... When you get on there before you talk, because the reason why it's so important to be prepared so you don't look like a fool or sound like a fool, is so many people that rely on our words, right? Yeah. We could say, you know, Steph Curry really can't shoot. Somebody's out there gonna be like, you know what? Alvin says Steph Curry can't shoot, he can't shoot. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what the hell? Like, So I sweat a lot, but it's a, it's a hell of an opportunity for me because one and foremost, I get to work back in Canada in Toronto, I get to work for the team that I'm, I'm familiar with and I love and it's a challenge man and I get to really see the game from a different lens like you really got to see it from like kind of like a coach's lens, not a fan lens or not a former player lens. And I feel like a lot of former analysts, they, they can't get out of the players lens. And they, they, they're overly critical without putting themselves in the players' shoes mm-hmm. and not remembering their career. I'll be a fool if I get up there and start criticizing DeMar or Kyle or Steph or LeBron when I knew I couldn't hold a jock strat at the end of the day. <laughs> so I better I better watch what I say. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I try That's to be awesome. mindful of that and try to be very fair. But I also
0: like really gotta, you know, research and, and be prepared. Mm-hmm. Well a lot. Hey, Alvin, you came on the television scene in Canada. And from the from the producer perspective and from the viewer's perspective, it was like you had been doing it your whole life. And I, I think anybody at SportsNet and with the Raptors would would concur with that. Um oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You you and Kyle Lowry are my favorite Toronto Raptors of all time. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, on behalf of Shep and AR and our producer, Dan Wong. I would just like to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. 20 years since the shot against the New York Knicks, May 4th, 2001 and then we were gifted with the seven game uh eastern conference semifinal the raptors against the 76ers and if you watched it i'm sure if you played in it that is a series that everybody is uh going to remember forever so thank you so much for joining us al
1: thank you and i'll tell you something really funny so dan guys he's traveled with us right but dan would never freaking speak man And I swear like he walked through the back of the plane and come through the And but I didn't speak, whatever. But I used to always say, that guy right there, he never speaks, man. (laughs) He had a beard. He had a beard at some points, right? Sometimes, yeah. And I'm like, this guy never freaking speaks, right? So just me being a Philadelphia guy and my stubborn self, I really didn't, I didn't, I won't say I didn't like them. It wasn't my favorite people. (laughs) Then I had to work for the Raptors for for the broadcasting. And the first person I see, this is who I'm working with. And I was like, oh man, but I'm at a different place. But I'm like, I always felt like this guy never speaks, man. Like he just never speaks, but I get it now, man. I get now that sometimes we feel like it's not our place to speak, especially in those, on those buses and things you feel like, all right, do I belong here whatever. But I will say this. I've known you. I've seen you for a while, Dan, and I appreciate it. And you helped me so much getting to where I am today on the media side. So all those years that we didn't get a chance to speak, now you're my main man. So
0: all right, <laughs> right. You, I all right. will take that. That is oh, I'm, that <laughs> was thought, the sweetest I, thing anyone said to me. No, but
1: I used to think he didn't like me. I'm like this dude never speaks, but I didn't speak, so I'm sitting there <laughs> like.
0: But I'm like, uh, but it's
1: all good. I'm like, this guy doesn't like me. He
0: just never speaks, but I'm <laughs> he, man. he liked you. And believe me, all, all us young producers at that time were basically so in awe of the basketball players and we were kind of told, like, just keep to yourself. Don't bug them. I, I think what I was told by my boss at the time, if a player speaks to you, have a conversation, but th- you don't need to you don't need to start it. That was that's an old school television philosophy, but I'm glad we get to talk now, Alvin. You are oh, an unbelievable sure. guy and you're doing great work on TV. Um, that's gonna wrap up Jim rats and Joints. Don't forget to rate and review us on Amazon, Apple, Google, and Spotify. We're on social media at Jim rats Podcast. Thank you so much to Alvin Williams. You can catch him on Raptors on Sportsnet. And on Twitter at 20 underscore a will and team 100. Thank you to our amazing producer, Dan Wong. Follow him on social at Dan Wong says you can follow the general manager of the Ottawa blackjacks, Javon Shepard at Javon Shepard, Andy Routins, the assistant general manager of the blackjacks at Andy Routins on Instagram. I'm Dan Gladman. You can find me on social at DG on the road. Thank you so much. We'll be back another time